Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point. This week's show is a little different. We recorded it this week with me in Los Angeles and guest Vanessa Carlton at home in Nashville, obviously during the lockdown. And we couldn't start the conversation with My Turning Point because the reality is, is that everybody's thinking about right away being in isolation, the things that are happening with coronavirus. So this is a pretty much a real-time conversation with Vanessa Carlton about her wonderful new album, Love is an Art, how she's keeping things going during coronavirus, what it's like releasing an album during this time, playing Carol King, and a lot more. So hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. It was such a pleasure to have Vanessa Carlton on My Turning Point. So what's a turning point moment for you? And then we'll come into your journey of self-discovery in this. And, you know, it's fascinating to release an album in this time as well, because albums are always journeys of self-discovery anyway. So yeah. you're probably learning a shit ton about yourself right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I just got, <clears throat> I, f- I feel a lot of like chaotic, all over the map type of thoughts. And then there'll be something that I read or a moment in the day where I have this clarity um, which I think is the roller coaster of a lot of people's emotions during a time like this. But like, for instance, last night I got a tweet from a man who just lost his grandfather to coronavirus last night. And he just reached out and he's like, this record is what's getting me through this time. Thank you for releasing it anyway, you know. Thank you for releasing it during this time. And it was, it was so nice to get, I mean, it's devastating, but it was just so nice to hear from somebody out there because it feels like a, a vacuum. Uh, and I, I just want to, you know, the purpose of making you know, it. So, it's so funny that you say that because, I mean, I think that's one of the weird things about now is, funny. I was talking to Alanis Morissette several months ago. And you know what? Typically the podcast is supposed to start with a turning point. But you know what? One of the things that we're sort of typically, we also don't do the podcast remotely. So fuck it. We'll just jump in because the reality is, is that, you know, nothing is normal at this point in time. And to acknowledge that in the podcast as well. So I'm going to finish this thought and then we'll come to the turning point. But it's interesting. So after you said that, I jumped on Twitter. And the first thing I see is we rate dogs and there's a dog that is petting other dogs at daycare. And that's just one of those things that makes you smile so immensely. And it's so funny because a few months ago when I was talking with Alanis, um, it happened, I was waiting for a call and I happened to be on Facebook and it was the day after the, uh, it was the day after election day. And so the GOP was talking about stealing the election in Kentucky. And I was reading news on that. And then I also happened to be watching German Shepherds review food. And I just kind of lost it at that moment. And I was cracking up and I was saying to her, we're really at the end of civilization. And she was just busting up with me in that realization of like, we are just in the weirdest times ever. And it's so fascinating to think that in this crazy time where all of this is going on, again, you mentioned that about the tweet. So I go on and the first thing I see is a dog named Ruby who is petting other dogs. And I'm like, this just made my whole fucking day. (laughs) And it is nice to have that dichotomy that exists. of you know, So there's all this horrible news and the horrible tragedy of this guy losing his grandfather, but then him being able to reach out to you and say to you, you know, like this record has helped him so much. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's always this balance or not balance. It's like this imbalance. It's like this washing machine of 
simplest, like super, super simple, sweet moments and like utter chaos. There's like no, I think that's part of the internet too. It's like, there's just no middle ground. So like the story you're talking about with Atlantis and seeing news that's like devastating for a community. And then you see a German shepherd doing something dumb. It's like, it's really, <laughs> the brain is like, I think we're trying to catch up here with what type of, like really it's about managing information and it's about managing the internet. And I think right now, and like you just said, you've been like offline. I'm sure you've been online, but you've been not doing interviews. Working, yeah. But it's like, I bet you have this kind of foreign pace that is like come over you. Like I feel like this foreign pace of this, this slowness. And then it's juxtaposed with, I open my laptop or I open my phone and it's just like the inferno. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that comes back to, it's a really weird time to release a record. And it's interesting because I know some people have, you know, decided to delay stuff and other people feel like, you know, it's been, you know, music is such a solace in this. It's funny. I just did a piece the other day for Forbes and talking about, you know, the sort of comfort of songs in this. And I think that's one of the interesting things. And one of the cool things about this record is that, you know, during times like this, if you look through history, during t- traumatic times, during, I couldn't decide if I want to say traumatic or tumultuous, basically you have songs as a comfort, but real songs. So like I was talking about the 60s and 70s movement, you had songs like Ohio, and you have that's you know the singer songwriter movement came out of the late '60s right. and into the early '70s, and right. then of course you know when you look at 9/11, you had Springsteen, The Rising, Alan Jackson. You look at the civil rights movement, you know. So I think there is such a place for, for songs, you know. So I, I think it's an important thing to release a record, but I also understand it for the people who say, "Look, I can't tour right now. This is you know I'd rather wait to when it's not you know when it feels better for me." So it really is. There's no really right or wrong answer. It's well, you just brought up a good point, which is well, there's a couple of things going on. One is the ego where you want to wait until you can like present things the way you want to do it. And then two is like it's just you have is this idea of like, well, wait, I'm not I I this is like totally unchartered territory. I don't want to do this now because I don't know what this is. Like there I can understand there's two different reasons why people wouldn't want to release their work now, but I just, I, I just think it's the only thing that music is going to be the only thing that gets me through this really. I mean, at time, my quiet moments, um, I think it's, I'm not very good at meditating. So for me, music is like a forced meditation. It just gets you into my, it gets like, gets you, for me, it like unlocks emotion that I like keep inside my, like, it's like an exorcism when I listen to music sometimes. (laughs) So I don't know. I, we just, I, we just didn't want to delay. We just didn't want to delay it as a team. You know, we just didn't want to do that. Totally understand it. And we're going to come back to the music as this solace for you in a second. But now let's go back to the beginning, quote unquote. And again, as I say, typically the podcast starts with my turning point. But again, as I will explain in the intro, these are not typical times. And I like the fact that things can flow, but I still want to get to your turning point. So what would be a turning point moment for you? And what's interesting is, you know, people do, they go immensely personal or they go work-related and there really is, again, no right or wrong. And it's fascinating because the one thing I will say is that what typically happens is the turning point, we find no matter how far back someone goes, 
ties into like, for example, Robbie Robertson was on the show and he picked, you know, uh, a band he joined at 16 and we found that that sense of collaboration has still permeated his whole career. So it's interesting. The turning point typically does go through the whole sort of the person's whole career. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think honestly, as you're speaking, I'm like really most people's turning points, quote unquote, which is if you're to define it, it's like this moment revelation or this moment where they're going to change course or you change process or whatever it's really the low. It, it, I think to the person, it feels like their lowest point. (laughs) (laughs) For me and for a lot of human beings, it's like, we have to be, we have to fail at things that we're thinking that we need. We have to fail all the time. Big, big failures are, turning points for people where it's you perceive whatever it is to be a failure, but really it's like this opportunity to turn. It's this opportunity to go somewhere else. And without failure, without being surprised by life, without things not going the way you think they're going to go, you just keep cruising and not, you know, not have to look at things differently. So I mean, can we rename it to like my lowest point? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. What was your lowest point? (laughs) Because, um, well, I I mean, are you talking about like a fundamental question that like a fundamental idea at a moment in my personal career as a musician that I deem to be a turning point that led to a completely different world for me? Well, like I said, it's there. There really is. It's very interesting. So, like Brian O'Bear from Silver Sun Pickups was on, for example. He's a friend, and he spoke about his mother having cancer when he was six years old. Duff right. McKagan talked about getting into martial arts after he got sober. So, for him, it, the turning point actually came after his lowest point. Right. So, but again, other people like Gavin Rossdale from Bush picked, you know, getting a bass when he was fourteen and his sister's boyfriend taking him to a show. So there really is no right or wrong. For some people, again, that turning point moment comes; it's it's becomes the upward, and for other people, it is that low point. So for you, it's really how you view it. <laughs> for me, I'm very driven by low points. I mean, okay, so I was I was training to be a ballet dancer for since I could walk. I was obsessed with ballet, just so singularly focused on that. Um, And then I got into a very prestigious school in New York. I moved to New York City when I was just turning 14 to study at the School of American Ballet, which is a school affiliated with New York City Ballet, which was like my dream company. And, you know, I was dancing three to five hours a day, every single day since I can remember. Uh, and then when I hit, it was like my last year of, of SAB, um, School of American Ballet, and I didn't get into the company. And it was like, for me, it was like, I, if I don't get into that company, I'm not dancing. You know, it was like very extreme brainwashing situation, but that's just the way I am. And I just, or that's the way, that's the way I was. And um, I, it was such a broken, I, my dream was like shattered, you know, and it was like, it was, it was actually this incredible moment where it was like my tunnel vision was broken open. And I was like, wait, Vanessa, you know, and I, I had been writing a lot of music 
and had started to write songs during that time that I was at ballet school. Um, but I just didn't see where they would go or where they would take me. Cause I was like, I'm going to be a ballet dancer, you know? And then when that didn't work out, it was a huge turning point for me because I was like, I'm going to focus all my energy and figuring out how I can make a record. I don't know how to make a record. I guess I have to like find an address of a label and mail these things to the mail this cassette tape to them. Like I couldn't figure it out, but it was like, that was when my brain started dreaming new dreams, you know? Yeah. So how old was that? 17. Okay. And then my set, my part two turning point was like cut two. you know, I had been like a, this major label quote unquote pop piano playing pop star girl, the anti Britney, whatever they, however they pegged me and sold me. And I felt very out of control in certain ways of a lot of what was going on. Um, even though it was this big, you know, pop culture sort of successful project and uh, released a couple records after my first record. And I just, again, talk about lowest point turning into a turning point. You know, I was just like very depressed. Um, I had no clear view or vision of who I was as a person and who what I wanted to, you know, what I wanted to create. Um, everything had been so... I'd been playing these games. Like I felt with all of these mostly male record executives for so long, just trying to get some of my ideas through, you know, or they won't pay for it unless you compromise, you know? So, yeah. So I would say my, my part two lowest point slash turning point was when I left that whole system and I said, fuck this. I'm not, I don't need a budget. I don't need to ask anybody for, I don't need to, to be under someone's thumb in order for them to invest in whatever music I want to do, I'm going to start over and I'm going to pretend that like, I'm just literally starting over as a uh, songwriter musician. So yeah, that was 28. My return of Saturn really hard year. I survived that year. And um, that's when I started dreaming up working with like this incredible producer, Steve Osborne that I'd always wanted to work with and the label would never you know, that's a different genre of music. They would not ever support or fund an album like that, you know? So I got out. It's so interesting because like I said, it's so fascinating to see how all this ties through, you know, your complete work. And it's funny. So, you know, even when you look like I was looking at the playlist you did for Billboard and, you know, you have someone on there like PJ Harvey, who I absolutely love one of the trippiest people I've ever interviewed in my entire life. I don't know. Did you ever meet her? No, but I, I, I would love to. She's amazing. She, she's so funny though. She was so interested. Like she, I absolutely love her and she was awesome to talk to, yeah. but it was such a funny thing because she has this tendency to, when she's thinking about something, you know how when you're on a phone call, the person will say, huh, that's interesting. Or they'll pause or there'll be an audible something like a hmm or something. She doesn't do anything when she's thinking about an answer. So three times I thought she hung up on me and I'm like, shit, was it really that bad a question? But yeah. she is awesome. But it's interesting because- oh, I'm not surprised because she'd be someone that really doesn't waste a word, you know? No. 
ramble. I love people that do. That's like my husband, where it's like when they finally speak, everybody's listening because like <laughs> from that all meal. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I don't know if you're a Kevin Smith fan at all, but as you say that, that makes me think of the movie Chasing Amy and that great scene where Kevin Smith as Silent Bob gives that speech and Jay Jason Mewes is. I, have you ever seen Chasing Amy? I know, I b- barely remember it. Okay, well, there's that great scene in it where he's like, don't be so, you know, J- Silent Bob finally speaks and Jason Mewes is like, is like, don't be so surprised. Fat Bastard does this all the time. You know, he doesn't say a word. So when he says something, everybody thinks it's so profound. Yeah, it cracks me up because obviously when PJ Harvey speaks, it's profound. I'm sure it is when your husband does too. And I digress, but it's interesting. The reason I brought that up is, look, there is an artist who doesn't answer to anyone, has never answered to anyone. Yeah. And you know, I mean, when you think of making a record like this, you know, and it's a wonderful record, by the way. And it's funny, I like the fact that you included Miner's Canary in there because I think that was such an amazing song. And there was, was it, are there a couple, you know, it's funny when you listen to a record all the way through, which I still do, you will gravitate to certain songs. And yeah. the title track was one I definitely did, you know, as well as Miner's Canary. Yeah. It's interesting, though, for you, you know, when you go back and do a playlist, because and you start to see those influences in there, whether it's a Bill Withers, whether it's Philip Glass. Again, talk about someone else who just doesn't answer to anyone, right? You know, talk about how you feel them through this record, and you kind of see them, and you hear that as you go through and sort of pick up the 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 influences. As what I'm trying to, I told you I was brain dead. But what I'm getting is, look, when you're writing a record. You don't sit and think about the influences. You're writing it. You're in the midst of making it. It's only when you go back and analyze it, typically, that you find like, okay, I hear this or I see this influence in there now. Yeah. I just, uh, I have such freedom to, I I just feel very lucky because I, I had to figure it out that you can get to a place in your career where you don't have to answer to anybody in terms of aesthetic. And you, it's really about coming up with concepts or a vision and then reaching out to artists that you want to work with and collaborate. I don't, there's two, there's two different, like when I say, I don't want to, I don't have to answer to anybody. That's different from seeking out collaboration with another artist or other artists. Um, But yeah, I started out so young in this industry and such a baby. It was like, I had to straddle so much all the time. It just got exhausted. It, it was exhausting. Um, and I don't want to appear like I'm complaint. You know, people are like, oh, whatever. You're so lucky you had any sort of commercial success at all. I mean, I know so many incredible songwriters that like their songs should be, I mean, wha- so popular and they should be getting those huge checks too. I mean, it's like they should be getting it all. And I'm like, I know that I got very lucky, sort of won the lottery in certain aspects, but it, the fact of the matter is, is like, no artist wants to feel like they're answering to other people. And it's like, I would trade it all in if I could have started <laughs> out from the beginning with that, that feel that sort of feeling of freedom. Um, but it, that's, I don't regret it because it's like, this is, this is my path. Like I've had, I get, I had, I grew, I've been growing up in front of the world first in, in a, in a way, you know, and that's just the way it is. Well, it's interesting because it's funny. I always look at it this way and, you know, at a, at a much bigger level, you know, I was talking about this with people. Look, I mean, regrets are, it's funny. I mean, obviously, you know, 
there's the the song regrets i've had a few you know but it's it's interesting regrets are such a weird thing because i always look at it simply as like if you're happy where you are in life today what's the point of regrets because that brings you to where you are so it's interesting do you feel like though and this is such a difficult question to answer but it's fascinating i mean you know, would you, okay, I won't ask if you'd be the artist you would be, but do you feel like you have a much greater appreciation for the freedom and what you can do as an artist now and being able to work with someone like Dave Friedman, who, you know, I've spent so much time with Wayne Coyne. I know what a fan he is of Dave. You know, would you have that appreciation if you hadn't gone through those times of, you know, not being able to do your own thing and not being able to be your own person? I feel like it's kind of like anything. When you, when you have that low, it makes you appreciate going back to the, my lowest point, your lowest point usually makes you appreciate the highest point the most. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think I have more gratitude for this art, this like arts and crafts store, so to speak, that I feel like I'm in every time I get to sit down and think about and dream up an idea for a record. I mean, people like my husband, John McCauley, who's, I mean, the most like fiercely independent artist since he started writing songs. Like he, I'm blown away by him because I, he's been doing projects like this since he was, since War Elephant, when he was 18, his first record. It was like, it could not be more authentically John, you know, and he, I don't know how he was in a way was, I think more of a developed artist than I was at 18, but I, I, people like that, like John, and there's a lot of people out there that have been that fiercely independent since their first record. They, they, they just are like, well, this is just the way it is. You just do what you want to do. You make the record that you want to make. I don't know why you, you know, and I'm like, no, this is so incredible. You don't, (laughs) this is the most amazing thing, you know, and I'm humble because I just, I don't expect someone like a Dave Friedman to just be like, sure, I'll work with her. I mean, I, I like to earn people's respect and, and, or interest. And I just submitted demos to his website unsolicited, like my shitty garage band demos. And that's how we connected or, you know, even with Liverman, when I've, first came out with Liverman, my last record, um, I had just gotten new management and we talked about maybe changing my name or, or so that people can like look at this with fresh eyes and not attach me to all these other things that are not in present in my life anymore in my work. And what we did was we, we sent that record around to find a label. We sent it around with no name on it, you know? So that's how we got the deal. Um, I just wanted it to be based on the music and not like some, you know, I don't know, some idea of what I was before in the past. Um, so that, I guess that's the only tricky thing. It's like, I feel like I have BCAD. I'm like two people to some people. They're like, wait, she does this kind of music now. Or they're like, <laughs> Oh my God, I love that song. You know? And it's fine. It's, it's, it's for me, it's just channeling gratitude is I'm sure for you as well. And our work in just being a human being, I think the feeling of gratitude is like the most overarching healing emotion. Well, you know, it's funny. We're going to have to wrap up in a few minutes. So, but I wanted, there's a couple points I want to get into, you know, and one of them that's interesting to me is it's funny because I mentioned Alanis and, you know, like as you're telling your story, I feel parallels to that 
are there people, you know, because I've known her for many years as well. And when you look at the success she had on the first album, and I think that's one of the things that I've admired about her is the way that she was then able to go on to a sustained career after the phenomenon that was Jagged Little Pill. You know, are there people, and PJ Harvey is another great example of someone who didn't have that mainstream success, but reinvented. And to me, you know, I was talking about this to people, I feel like the great career of all time is someone like Tom Waits, who can literally tour whenever he wants, put out music whenever he wants, but can still walk into the supermarket and not be mobbed. So are there people that you've really admired for the way that they've reinvented themselves and people that you look at? as sort of um, inspirations, and you mentioned your husband, obviously, and the fact that he's always been able to be independent, people that have been inspirations to you for the way that they've been able to reinvent themselves over and over as a musician. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think someone like a Kate Bush or Neil Young, or I'm just thinking of artists that have gone through so many seasons of their lives already and that they it's really just about continuing to chase ideas that are new for them and not, I honestly, it's just about keep putting one foot in front of the other in terms of your work. Like you just keep, keep working, keep releasing things, even if they're seven years apart, doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and most importantly, not writing for, audience. I think like the big killer of any artist is when they start writing for audience. Um, nobody want, I did the show last summer as play. I would play Carol King on Broadway and it was like this whole other beast that I've never, I had to learn so much. It was so incredible, but something I learned about, and I've never acted before. Something I learned about in a scene is if you want to nail your line, if you want to land it where everybody in that room feels it, you do not say it for one person in that room. You have to, it has to only come from inside your body. And I mean, like, there's so many, um, there's so many hilarious moments in that play. And I've started to get used to people laughing at times. And then there have been a couple times where I, I would, would play to audience, like the, the joke. And it would never land as hard. It would, and I was like, oh, God, I missed that. Wait, that didn't work. And it was like, no, Vanessa, because no, no one wants to see you play to them. People want to connect with other humans and their experience and their perception and their point of view. So as long as you just keep honing that, it's like that's the key to staying connected to, to other human beings and being a working artist, you know, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Last couple of questions. But one, it's funny since you mentioned Carol King. And I, again, we started off talking about music as solace during this time. And it just got me thinking about this piece the other day. And just being a full on music geek, I will just think about these things all the time. And then I end up doing these roundup pieces for Forbes that are always fun and fascinating on like happiest song, saddest song, whatever it is. So what's your favorite singer songwriter album of all time? Um, I don't know. Well, I, I guess I obsessively listen to Harvest Moon. Well, I have this weird thing with Harvest Moon where I learned it on the piano well, the year it came out when I was, when is that? Is that early 90s? And then, because uh, my mom, my mom's a piano teacher and she was teaching her class that album, the song, she bought the songbook of it and we all learned it. And like, I don't know what it is, but that, that record 
is like my meditation. It's a great record. 92, by the way. Yeah, it's an amazing record. I mean, Ken, you know, he's Neil Young. I mean. Yeah, I know every nook and cranny of that record. But I mean, there's more. I just have to think. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, again, it's, it's a hard part. I know, but it's just interesting to me to think about because, I, like I said, I, I think, you know, I started thinking about that during this time. But I want to wrap up on Love is an Art because, and it's funny, I mean, even when I think about this record and, you know, you look at a song like Die Dinosaur, which is so fun and so fascinating and feels like something that would be like, you know, reminds me a little bit in tone of the sort of, you know, uh, quirkiness in a good way of Tom Waits, what's he building in there? You know, so jump ahead to when mercifully all of this shit is done and we can see live music again. And when you think about playing Love is an Art live and there's going to be such an immense feeling of gratitude from everybody just to be able to see a fucking concert again. But when you think about it, what are the songs that you are most excited to play live or to see, you know, I was looking at it this way too. Look, our audiences make a song their own. As soon as they hear them, they bring their own interpretation, their own feeling to it. So yeah. are there songs that you're particularly curious to see how an audience responds to them? Yeah, I, well, this is a very strange situation where I'm releasing a record and then I'm not touring it f- until like a little less than a year later. So I, I go on tour in January, my rescheduled tour. And I think it will give people so much time to decide what their like anthem songs are and so i will be it will give me more information before i go on the road where i can like really gauge what what is hitting people the hardest from this record rather than sort of figure it out on the road um and i think i'll just be just i'll feel exactly what you the way that you just described an audience member feeling where we just feel so grateful that we get to have that exchange again of it's just an exchange shows are just an exchange of energy. It's an exchange of emotion. And, uh, we all are going to be so ready for that to happen again. I'm, I'm excited for that moment and we're all, we will all be changed people. And, um, I wonder who, who I'm going to be. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, because like, you know, I think this is the most, look, when you make a record, as I talked about, you learn something all the time. And then you compound it with the fact that, again, I think most people are learning quite a bit during this period. I mean, you know, it's funny when you go back and listen to this record now with that feeling of isolation. And again, the isolation only adds to the learning element. Are there things in this record that surprise you or things that emerge? And because I think what always happens as a writer is you write things and then you're like, oh shit, I didn't even know I was thinking about that. Right. So yeah. is there one lesson from this record that really stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I it remains to be seen which one will end up being the premonition song, but it's just honestly, it's just so sad because in New York they just keep call describing New York as the canary in the mine. And I'm just like, oh my god, it's like miner's canary, even though it's like a personal story of mine from my past, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that was the premonition song. Like there's just so many moments that I, not just me, like other artists too, we talk about songs that we write and then they end up happening later on. Um, usually it's personal. It's a personal story. Like I wrote, uh, I don't want to be a bride. The song that was on Rabbits on the Run, my first independent record that I did. And I was talking about moving from London to Tennessee somewhere in Tennessee and 
it was really, it's really about falling in love, even though it's entitled, I don't want to be a bride. And here I am married and living in Tennessee. It's weird. Um, <laughs> cool. And sadly, we're going to run out of time, which is a bummer because it's fun conversation as always, but is there anything you want to add? I didn't ask you about. Um, no, I that that was, it was nice to talk to. It was nice to talk to you. <laughs> I'm like in such a vacuum and just hang out with a five-year-old. I think it's funny. I think it's like, it's almost, it's funny. You were going to say it's nice to talk to you. I think it's almost, it's like, it's more like, it's just nice to talk to a human being. Yeah. It's nice to talk music. Cause I feel like, again, it's just sort of put this out in a vacuum. It's like a black hole. I know there's so many people out there, but um, yeah, it, it's nice to sort of just shoot the shit, you know? So thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on the record too. Thanks. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been here on My Turning Point with special guest Vanessa Carlton. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, and it really gave you a lot of insight into how artists are dealing with what's happening during this time. And as Vanessa said, you know, it's weird for her to release an album that she's not going to be able to tour for for a year, but, you know, that's the nature of things right now. It's just a weird time, and... You know, hopefully Vanessa's wonderful album, Love is an Art, gives you at least a momentary diversion. I highly recommend it. And such a pleasure to have her on. Thanks. If I could fall into the sky Do you think time would pass me by? Cause you know I'd walk a thousand quality sleep from sleep number because our sleep number 360 smart bed is really smart it senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable plus it's temperature balancing so you stay cool it's even smart enough to know exactly how long how well and when you slept and to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night sleep number takes care of the science all you have to do is sleep and now during our memorial day sale save a thousand dollars on the sleep number 360 special edition smart bed queen now only 19.99 only for a limited time to learn more go to sleepnumber.com Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. 
Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 